Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum. The name of this webinar is Home Education, Debunking the Myths and Exploring the Opportunities. Um, this comes from many, many years of both home educating and teaching in various settings, formally and informally. So before we get started into our myths, I do want to just touch briefly on some of the education of school itself, like why schools exist kind of does matter to the purpose of schools even today, um, because a lot has changed since the schools as we know them today, like came about, right? Uh, late 19th century, schools served a great purpose in really just helping vulnerable kids, right? Escape from absolutely horrific um, working environments, chimney sweeps, factory settings that were just gruesome. And so schools were established and actually it was 1870 here in England that uh, the Elementary Education Act was passed and school became compulsory for the first time for kids up to age 10. And um, then, of course, there was reforms since then that pretty much solidified the school system that we know today. Well, the problem is that, of course, our society has completely changed in every single way possible, right? Tech and automation and Amazon and transportation and food delivery services, like everything has changed. So you can imagine what would happen if somebody from Victorian England would be plopped down in the middle of London 2020 it would be terrifying, right? There would be nothing familiar in that setting unless they were dropped down in the middle of a classroom. And even though there have been some bells and whistles added, my husband likes to say um, it's like putting lipstick on a pig a little bit. Um, there's been things that have been added to our schools, basically the same methods of delivery of the education are the same as they were 150 years ago, which is really, really crazy to think about um, when you think about all of the changes that have happened in our society since then. So um, that is not to say that schools don't serve a very important social service to us. They are important in the sense that they still do provide a safe place for vulnerable kids. Um, they provide meals, they provide free childcare for parents who need to work, and they provide kids with access to technology. So the question is not, are schools necessary? It's simply, are schools the best place for our child to learn? Especially when we do have the option to explore other educational opportunities. So again, if you just joined, there is a Q&A button on your, your bar there. So if you want to just type in questions as you go or save your questions to the end, we will go almost a full hour with me blabbing away. And then I'll save, you know, an extra 30 minutes if you have more questions. But I understand that you, a lot of you guys will have to leave right at 12 and that's fine too. You can always contact me personally if you have other questions that we don't get to.
All right, so here we go. Our myths start with myth number one, which is probably um, the biggest one, I think, that, that takes the most covering, is that kids cannot learn anything if they are not in school. All right, a little participation if you're game. We want to think about the idea of learning in general and what that means before we start to compare, you know, what, what kids learn in school versus what they can learn outside of school. So if you're up for it, in the chat, if you would like to type in what your favorite course was in school and why, that would be great. And you guys can kind of read each other's as I share. I took a course in high school um, that was called PEPI. P-E-P-I, and it stood for, I think it stood for Physical Education Peer Instructors, I think. And what it was, was um, this was my last year of high school, and we were able to come up with PE lesson plans and learn all about what it took to plan a lesson and things like that. And then we took those lessons and actually went to a local primary school and were then able to teach the primary kids their PE class. And I think that was maybe one of the opportunities that I had in school that really drove me towards teaching perhaps. It was great because I felt like we got to go somewhere and like do something like that was real outside of the classroom. We got to engage with other people and kids and the kids loved it. So that truly was my favorite. Um, okay, I'm seeing A-level art because it didn't have a fixed right and wrong. Uh, I had more control over what I focused on. English because I was good at it. History purely for the teacher who was incredible. And we're going to be talking about teachers in a second because for sure they're influential. Homec and history were my favorite. Found them interesting. And that's the bottom line, right? Um, we love to learn about things that we find interesting, right? Um, the opposite here, which I know in the chat might get a little confusing because some of us are still typing in our favorite courses, but what was perhaps one thing that you learned or <laughs> were taught in school, there's a difference, right? But have yet to use in your real life. <laughs> and don't say, everything else besides that favorite course. Um, because, <laughs> I don't know, it might be true, I guess. One thing that you are taught but have yet to use in your real life. Again, just bringing our awareness to those things that like, yes, I just had to endure these things because I thought that that was just the ticket to like the next thing. Quadratic equations, mitochondria. <laughs> Pythagoras theorem, <laughs> French, that's right. So the things that we know that we're not gonna use or seem irrelevant or boring to our lives, like we can sit in that classroom all year round and absolutely like nothing is going into our brain that we're gonna retain, right? Past maybe the exam. Um, I took two years of physics and a year of chemistry because it like boosted my levels and it's a little bit different in the US but it boosted my scores it boosted my opportunities or what I thought were my opportunities and I mean lots of wasted hours looking back 
um, on, on those times in the classroom. And lastly, you don't have to answer this one, but it's also relevant. What do you enjoy learning about in your free time today, and how do you learn it? So all these questions um, have this in common, right, that we will learn about those things that we're interested in. And just because we're being taught something doesn't necessarily mean that we're learning it. But the flip side is true, right? We can be learning something without there necessarily being a teacher in the classroom. And of course, we all, we all know that, and we've all experienced it that. So let's take a quick look and sort of compare the, the teaching, the learning that's done in the school versus the opportunities that we have in home education. We've all lived this life unless you were homeschooled yourself, and you could probably be teaching this webinar if you were. But in primary school, the bulk of the learning is memorization, right? Uh, we have to learn formulas and dates and facts, right? And then we're tested on those facts, graded on those facts. And then really early on in our school career, we're grouped and ranked and pretty much that's where we stay for the rest of our schooling. So, you know, yeah, really early on, we're put in grouped into sets. Um, there's the gifted kids and there's the struggling kids, right? And chances are that those, those paths are pretty much going to be consistent and stay with you for all of your schooling career. Um, every year, our schools are becoming much more exam-driven, which means that our teachers are basically teaching what is easy to test and not necessarily what's important to learn. Um, and this is really important, right? Because we just, we want to always think back to, okay, what's the point? What's the point of education? What is education for? And when our education system is so focused on being standardized and exam driven, then we miss out on a lot of those things that learning is actually for. And that's essentially for becoming very fulfilled, successful, happy adults that are doing the things that we love to do. So why have we gone so exam crazy? Well, we kind of have come to the point in our schools, right, where we need to separate the smart kids from the special needs kids and um, the good schools from the bad schools, right? The funding goes to those who have performed well. The teachers want to go to those who are performing well. Um, and then even international status, right? We're always comparing ourselves to kids in China or Finland. But um, again, these tests are so narrow in what they actually measure that we have to really consider, okay, is this the system that I want my kid to, to spend 12 years in? Uh, in secondary school, it's a lot of the same, 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 except the stakes become quite a bit hi um, higher, right? Uh, essentially at age 14, kids here in this country, and again, I'm still learning the system, but they're essentially having to choose, okay, what exams do I want to take over the next four years to basically make myself as marketable as possible to university? 
All right, so you guys have lived this life, right? Um, why am I saying all this? If our goal is simply for our children to get the highest scores on their exams, then by all means, right, we need to keep pushing them harder to study longer um, so that they can score that, the highest that they can score. But what's honestly happening, and it was already happening when I went through school, we're, we're seeing this generation of kids now that are pretty much only concerned about what's going to be on the exam, right? Um, I mean, I, I probably was a little bit that way, to be honest myself. Like, is this going to be on the test? Just tell me what I need to know for the exam. Like, nothing else really matters. Like, I don't want all this other fluffy stuff. Just tell me what I need to know to get the mark, to move on, and so on. And so on. Um, so kids are just spending hours and hours downloading information that they hear from a teacher, from a textbook. And what's happening is we've, our whole culture really is has sort of buying into this idea of this standardized, standardization covenant, if you will. I'm reading this great book called Dark Horse by Todd Rose. And he says this, all you need to do to claim your prize, meaning, right, that top mark, are the same things everyone else is required to do. You just need to do them better than your peers. Take the same classes, but get better grades. Take the same tests, but get better scores. Pursue the same diplomas, get better, attend better universities. The chief commandment for achieving success within the standardization covenant can be summed up in eight simple words. Be the same as everyone else, only better. Um, and we just have to think hard again. Is that, is that the system that I want my children to participate in for all these years? Home education, on the other hand, knowledge is everywhere. There used to be a time when we needed teachers, textbooks, encyclopedias, right? Do, we are, is anybody old enough to actually have had a set of encyclopedias on their shelf? Like this, that was a big deal to have those, you know, the keys to knowledge. Except now, like my five-year-old can ask Siri, anything and find out about it. You don't need to even be able to read. Um, so you just need to be curious and there's a way to find out what you want to know no matter what it is. So knowledge is everywhere. It's accessible to everyone. Obviously there's limitations with technology and things like this, but um, for the most part, knowledge is everywhere. The other thing that is just such a neat opportunity that we have in home education is time. That's a commodity that is just almost non-existent in school, right? It, everything is scheduled down to the second dictated by bells. Whereas at home, we have time to observe, to get to know our kids. They have time to explore their interests. So instead of the goal being to fill our kids up with knowledge, that they may find irrelevant or boring, just like we did when we were in school, we can actually tap into their questions, curiosities that already exist. When they want to learn something, there's also time to master content as opposed to being assigned a grade and then moving on. The whole grading system is very much a schooly 
idea. Um, right? Like there's not, there's no time for every kid in the class to really understand a hundred percent what's going on here. We don't have time for that. So let's come up with this system where we just say, well, okay, you, you knew 70% of it. Okay, let's just move on and we'll give you a grade that's 70% or a C or whatever, right? In home education, that system doesn't exist, which is awesome. You have as much time to master the content as you need. The other thing that you have is time for what this guy, and I, I was going to try to learn how to say his last name, but no, I'm sure there's some of you guys who can. Um, flow. This idea is becoming really popular. I mean, the research is becoming more prevalent. And basically, we know what this is, right? You get to doing something or you see your child that's engaged in something and they forget to eat, you forget to pee because you are like so into whatever it is that you're doing. That's what flow is. And there is lots of time for that at home. As opposed to those situations where we all know, right, especially if you come from a teaching background, where the kids are asking you every five minutes to go to the toilet, or even as adults, right, you're checking your phone because you're bored to death, when am I going to get out of here? So, and in those situations too, that you're at school, perhaps, and you finally found that thing, that one activity that's so engaging and you, the, the kid is so into it. And then what happens? Brrr, the bell rings and Johnny asks his teacher, well, can we keep working? Oh, no, we're out of time. Well, can we do it tomorrow? Mm, no, we have other things to learn tomorrow, right? So there's, not, there's just not enough time to get into that flow and dive deeply into our interests. Teachers, what about teachers? Somebody was saying that one of their favorite subjects that they, the courses that they were in had a lot to do with their teachers. So right now I want you to just pop into the chat who your favorite teacher was and maybe very quickly why while I explain who my favorite teacher was. My favorite teacher was actually my year six teacher that's why I ended up teaching year six. Her name was Mary Moss. And it's interesting, right? I literally can't tell you the stuff that I learned in that class, meaning what we, you know, what we learned in math and this, but I can tell you that she was firm. She was kind. She motivated me. She made me curious. She read some awesome read-alouds that stayed with me until I was able to read them aloud to my children. So our favorite teachers, and I'm sure as, as they come in to the chat, they, they were people that inspired us, that coached us, that guided us, that just made us excited about learning. They weren't teachers that were disillusioned or burnt out or just tired themselves of having to teach towards this standardized system of assessment. And that's what we're finding more and more in our schools today. In home education, teachers matter, but the definition of teacher is much more broad and different than it is in the classroom. So you don't have to worry about, I get this a lot, 
I can't teach, or no, I don't, I don't know physics, so how am I supposed to teach my kid? Or I don't remember long division or what an adjective is, so how am I supposed to teach my kid? First of all, that's pretty telling that you are a grown adult and don't remember these things. Might be a clue that they're not super important to your life, uh, to your learning. So what happens in home ed is that kids are actually usually their own best teachers. And I know if you're new to the idea of home ed, then um, that might sound really weird. But if you start to observe your child and they are researching something or you know, watching different shows about a certain topic and then they come to you and they're telling you all about what they learned and they're trial and erroring their way through building a tower. They are their best teachers. And it is something that has absolutely floored me as a teacher and really humbled me where I've learned that I can give up so much control of thinking that I have to teach my kids. And I'm a teacher, you know, I'm a, like, this is a teacher talking. So you don't have to worry about that at all. The other great benefit that we have is that we get to be taught by experts in their field. Our music teacher is a jazz musician. We've taken animation courses from animators. We've taken writing courses from published authors, art lessons from artists. We've done chemistry classes at the Royal Institution with scientists that are really passionate about science. So what that does is just fosters, even in me, I get so excited and curious about what my kids are learning that we just really all enjoy learning together. So can our kids learn at home without being connected to a school? Yes, absolutely. And that brings us to myth number two. They will not know how to socialize. And I think we're already behind on our time a little bit. So I am going to fly through some of these. If I get to some of these screens and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish you would have gone deeper, please send me an email after at ourthrivinghive at gmail.com and I can answer all of your questions then as well. So I have literally been answering this question since my oldest, she's 14, we have five children, did I say that? Um, 14 down to five years old. So since my oldest was probably two and we were just starting to entertain the idea of homeschooling, I distinctly remember a conversation that I had with this gentleman who was so adamant about my kid needing to be at school because in his mind he was really concerned that if kids aren't exposed to bullying, this is where he went with this, if they're not exposed to standing up for themselves in the face of a bully, then they will not be successful in their business career. And of course, I was young and my child was young. And I thought, well, that's kind of a weird argument. But I thought maybe there's some truth in that. I don't know. But then you look around, right, and every school in the world is like on all these anti-bullying campaigns. Maybe they've got it wrong, right? Maybe we should um, celebrate the bully. No. Anyways, the, since then, on and off, up until two weeks ago, we were in the park, and a lady that I knew, she didn't know that we homeschooled. And when I told her, she was like, 
while my kids are playing with her kids on the playground, by the way, it's like, well, how, how do they socialize? How, how do you get them to socialize? And I'm like turning around and thinking, well, isn't that kind of what they're doing over there? And so, I mean, this, I've heard it so much that it's almost comical. And this is mostly sums up how I feel about this socialization thing, right? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. This is, this is literally like what, I'm, what I hear now. <laughs> um, and my kids are so embarrassed that I use a Princess Bride quote in my PowerPoint, but I do love that movie. In all seriousness, though, I get it. I get that what parents are actually asking me when they ask me about socialization is, do your friends or do your kids have any friends? Will my kids have any friends if I decide to homeschool? And uh, this is a question that is definitely a valid one, right? We don't want to gloss over this. So let's take a look really quickly at the social structure of schools. We know this again. We have schools, uh, we have children in a classroom who are all the same age, all the same academic ability. They are wearing all the same uniforms. They sit in nice rows. The teacher is at the front of the classroom. You raise your hand when you want to speak. You raise your hand when you need to use the toilet. And this is, this is how socialization goes in school, right? And even though it might not be explicitly taught in schools, the social structure centers on standardization, conformity, and performance. And when those are the goals, uh, it's not surprising that we have these issues like bullying or anxiety and all of these mental disorders now that are presenting themselves in our teens when they don't feel like they fit in or they don't feel like they're performing academically, athletically. Um, conformity leads to thinking that this particular group is better than this other group, even to the point where they're sent to special school if their learning needs are different than the mainstream. At a very practical level, conformity can lead kids to not even wanting to ask questions because they're afraid that they're, they're going to look dumb in their class. So when does socialization actually happen in school? There was a report from UCL last year, and this is a quote from that, that children barely have enough time to queue up eat their lunch, let alone have time for other things like socializing, physical exercise, or exploring self-chosen activities. And that's like the researcher, right? It's not me saying this. This is what schools are. And it's just a fact that we have to deal with. Um, there is, however, the group project, right? When you think about, oh, well, okay, well, at least in school, kids can collaborate with one another and they learn how to communicate within a group to work on a project. This is what you have, right? Is, is, is this what you experienced? Um, every group project, if you want to type it in, you can confess who you were. I was a 99% or you probably could have guessed that. <laughs> Um, and I just hated the fact that everybody sort of mooched off of the fact that I was a perfectionist, right? <laughs> so you're in these groups that you haven't chosen for yourself. 
trying to come up with a presentation about something that you're not interested at all, it doesn't really work, right? It's super artificial. Um, so maybe you're still kind of holding on to that thing, that, that idea that schools are like a pool of potential friends for my children and that really the, the deepening of those friendships, the socialization happens outside of the school. Well, I mean, if you work really, really, really hard, but if we're honest, right, after the school day is over, homework is done, extra tuition is done, football practice, piano, all the other stuff, dinner maybe is thrown in the mix there. There's not a lot of time to then get up with your friends and, and hang out. So it takes a lot more effort in a schooling environment to develop these um, relationships that we hope for our kids. So what are the social opportunities that are available for homeschoolers? Well, it depends. If you literally keep your kids at home 24-7, then they probably will not develop any friendships or any social skills. And I think that's, for some reason, still what some people think happens when you're home educating. So yeah, if you do that, then you are right. Your kid will have no friends and they will not learn to be social in any capacity. But that is not the story for the majority of homeschoolers and definitely not the, the case for us in our family. As homeschoolers, as, as home educators, we are, I think, always a little bit more proactive in this regard when it comes to the social aspect, which isn't necessarily a bad thing of thinking, okay, what are the social goals for my kids and how can I put them in situations where those needs and those goals are met? For us, we do desire that our, our kids would develop deep friendships with peers um, that are the same age, if that's how it works out. But what I have been so surprised and like really overjoyed to see is that when you start um, meeting up with other home educators that obviously have family members of different ages, what I see is the benefits of having my children be the oldest in a particular group where they learn things like leadership, responsibility, how to teach kids that are younger than themselves. But also because I have kind of both ends of the spectrum, I get to see my little ones learn how to follow, how to kind of submit to authority, how to take risks. And usually an environment that's, um, that, you know, the older kids are looking out for the, the little ones. And so I'm happy to allow her to stretch her wings a little bit and learn new things under the guidance of um, these older kiddos. They learn a lot by just free playing together and there is a not a lot of opportunity for free play in the school environment. Practically none, right? 15 minutes for recess or whatever. And so things like conflict resolution and just problem solving, all these things that are, that are really fostered and just play work themselves out in, in that homeschooling environment when you have this multi-age um, group which is really, really awesome. Home ed children also have more time to volunteer as they get older, work, 
start their own business, which puts them in social situations that obviously will be of value for the rest of their lives. These are the social situations where we are in regularly, meetups, field trips, volunteer work, have one daughter, she plays the piano, she teaches piano lessons, she's 14, teaches piano lessons to little kiddos. She has approached a cafe that had a piano in it and so she plays at the cafe and gets like free brunch. Um, church, extracurriculars, neighborhood, we have a lot of opportunity to socialize. And often that's all that my kids want to do when I have to kind of rein them back in and say, you know what, we're going to do kind of our own thing today. So that hopefully has totally been debunked, right? What are our child's needs? How can we provide them with the opportunities to get them met? That's the bottom line for socialization. Onward to myth three. Hopefully we're doing okay. Myth three, they will fall behind and will not have as many opportunities as their schooled peers. I'm gonna break this down a little bit. The first part, they will fall behind. All right, this um, is a really easy one to debunk. When our kids are no longer in school, we pull them out of an environment where they are no longer setting themselves, comparing themselves to some arbitrary standard, bingo, they're no longer behind. That's it. <laughs> and I know that sounds really simplistic, but again, that's a school-created idea of being behind. And like we talked about before, once you're behind in school, then there is very little chance of catching up. And I know that some of you guys are maybe thinking, well, I want to keep them in, you know, on track. Again, one of those terms, right, on track, so that we can enter back in to school. I will say that if we go into home education with that mindset, it might not work. It might, it might be a little bit more tricky for you because you're going to be sort of thinking about still keeping your kid in that standardized mode instead of opening up all of the opportunities that there are for home education. So really take that into consideration. If, am I willing to go all in and just keep going as long as it's working? Or do I have the expectation that they need to get back into the system after a certain amount of time? because that is a lot more tricky. We talked a little bit about what happens in elementary or primary school when the kid feels behind, they're, they're putting these sets and termed you know, special, special needs. And when we got to high school, it got even crazier. It doesn't happen here, thank goodness, but kids are literally ranked from one to however there are many in that class. We had over 400 kids in our class, in my graduating class. And yeah, if you're in the top 50, like I was, then it becomes this kind of competitive game, right? How can I tick up and be closer to number one, that valedictorian? But I must admit that I never for one moment thought about number 427 and how they were faring in their life and education journey. And now I do think about 427, you know, what is that kid feeling. So once they're pulled from that environment, guys, 
they're no longer behind. They're no longer number 420. So they're no longer number anything. They get to be themselves and they get to start learning right where they are. So not only are kids not behind in homeschooling, but they have the opportunity to master skills and content that would not be available to them in school. For example, if your child is super interested in learning African history, they can dive deep and wide into that. If your kid is 10 years old, like my son, and wants to start learning the like Adobe Suite, Photoshop, Illustrator, Procreate on the iPad, then guess what? They can master that at 10. It's not available in the school. They want to do physics at 14. They can. Anything else that he wants to learn, he has the freedom to learn it. So in general, guys, home ed kids have much more freedom, time, opportunities to actually get ahead in those areas that they're hoping to pursue in the future. Quick word for parents of kids with special needs. Um, I, there are plenty of groups out there that if you do, and I saw in the chat already a couple that, that have um, dyslexia, autistic spectrum, ADHD, there's, there's so many different diagnoses, right? And in general, what I've heard from, from these parents who have chosen to home educate their kids is once they've been pulled out of the school, it doesn't become easy, right? This is, we'd be kidding ourselves if we thought that it would be easy. Not easy, even if your child has no extra learning, special learning needs, so it's not going to become easy, but what I've heard is that it just becomes a little bit more peaceful. You're no longer in this rat race of evaluations and trying to bring up scores or you know, trying to get your child to prove themselves before this educational board or this local authority council or this head teacher. And so all of that is stripped away and you can start focusing on your child and their needs, which usually as the parent, you know better than any other of the people involved know what your child needs. So uh, again, ask me after about specifics on, on where you can be directed to go and ask your questions about special needs. All right, let's see. I know that you guys are like, okay, my kids, they're not behind. I get what you're saying. But what about university and career? Do homeschool kids end up living with their parents forever, jobless? And I don't know what people think, right? But maybe that's what they, what they think. No, they don't. <laughs> There's plenty of opportunity for them to go on to university and career if that's what they choose. But I will say that wherever your kid is, hopefully we are doing our jobs as parents to really make sure that this is a worthy investment for our kids because college debt, guys, is up to 36,000 pounds on average when a student graduates university, and that can take up to 30 years to repay. So we have to be really sure that that is essential for our child's future if we are sending them or if they're sending themselves on that track. What is the value of a university degree today? Our culture, as we've talked about, our society has changed so much in the last 150 years that the value of having a university degree is changing as well. These companies probably look familiar. Google, BBC, Netflix, Pixar, IBM, Apple. 
Hilton, Starbucks. These are all companies that if you go on their website today, they and look at you know job requirements. There is no requirement. Um, university degree is not one of those requirements. So many corporations now are valuing experience and expertise even over a university degree or in lieu of at least a university degree. What companies are finding is that even after a, a kid graduates from university, they often enter into the workplace underprepared for the job that they're supposed to be able to do. So you can imagine, right, if that 10-year-old kid has been working for eight years already on the whole Adobe suite and learns the ins and outs of graphic designs, and by the time they're 19, have all of these skills that most kids aren't even starting until they're that age at university, you can see why these companies are now saying, okay, no, we want the kids that have the experience, that have the life skills that make them um, a little bit more flexible, a little bit more innovative and creative in this changing work environment. And companies are also looking for these soft skills, right? Can your kid, can this employee think independently? Do they have ambition? Are they proactive? Are they responsible? Do they work well in a team? All things that are really, really hard to try to artificially create in a school setting. I know, your child wants to be a doctor. <laughs> no joke, guys, I've talked to parents that have kids that are tiny, two, three, four years old, and this is the one hang-up that they have. What if my kid wants to be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer, solicitor, or a researcher? Can they go to university? Yes. And there are various pathways from um, doing everything the traditional way, getting your GCSE and A-levels. There's online academies. There's in-person options. You can do that if they want. You can go to a college at age 16. Sometimes you can go, there's 14 to 16 year programs at colleges. You can gain the required certificates and move on to university. OpenU, if you don't know OpenU, this is an awesome resource for kids um, who are university driven, more academically driven, I guess, who think that they, they will need university in the future. Uh, this is probably what our oldest is gonna pursue at 16. You can apply, there are no entry requirements and you can start ticking off those requirements pretty much three years later, have a bachelor's degree, and then who cares about exams anymore after that. There are some schools that have this cool foundation year program now where they have it, you tack an extra year onto the beginning of your university kind of career, and they usually don't have any entry requirements either. I was just recently um, corresponding with University of London Birkbeck, and basically they said, yep, what we have on our website is the real deal. We will waive formal entry requirements as long as we see that your kid is motivated and they have the portfolio work experience. They can prove basically that they're going to succeed in this, um, in this department. So that's an option. Straight to university, I've seen that happen as well. You have a, a rocking portfolio, you meet with the department head, you tell them the story of how your journey has been different and why, and I've seen kids accepted to university like that as well. Lots of options, you can ask me more questions later. You can Google her later, her name's Erica Goldson. 
she was the number one, right? She was the valedictorian, gave a speech back in 2010, and it's worth Googling because she, she went off script, to say the least, and basically just shared what was going on in her mind and heart as she reflected on her high school career. So you can check that out. We've got about 10 minutes. We're going to try to cram in these last two myths. Myth number four is, I will go crazy if I have to stay at home with my children. Well, you don't necessarily have to go crazy, but there are some things that help when um, thinking about just keeping peace in the home. I did want to back up just for one, one second. Um, when we're thinking about the future of our kids, guys, and this is really important, so I do want to back up. We really need to know our children how they're wired, what their unique interests and talents are, and what the skills and knowledge are that they want to pursue. Or else we might find that they are trying to fulfill our dreams and expectations instead of their own. Okay, you might want to write that down. We don't want our kids trying to fulfill our dreams and expectations or anybody else's except their own. And so really consider that when you're thinking about the future of your kids. All right, will I go crazy? No, you don't have to go crazy. Couple things here, um, and I'm just gonna fly through because we don't have time. Unity. Unity with your partner and spouse is the number one uh, remedy for sanity, or insanity, I guess, in the home while you're home educating. If you are not unified with your partner, it will be impossible, I will say. Because it is such a countercultural move to home educate, you're going to be hearing all of these opinions. You're going to be explaining yourself out there when you go on a field trip, you're on the tube in the middle of the day, and um, you want to be able to come home to a place of peace, of affirmation, where you can laugh together about all the silly stories that you've heard and so I will say that if your mission is to convince your partner that home education is the way to go, that's going to be tricky and might not work out well. So what you want to just hope for are continuing open conversation about the health and wellness, the just overall well-being of your child and trying to come to a compromise that way. Okay. What are we supposed to do all day? Okay. Well, um, that's up to you. Again, the, the structure of school gives a sense of normalcy that is maybe hard to let go of. What am I supposed to do with my kids? What we have is control over our day. We can structure our day with as much or as little structure as we want and that affords us the rhythm. We, we kind of tend to think of it as a rhythm instead of like a schedule. It gives our kids a rhythm. So they kind of have this normal feel of what to expect. But it also gives us the flexibility to do other things when they come up. A friend or family member comes. We want to take a field trip. We can modify that rhythm or that schedule to the needs of our family, which is awesome. Um, moving on. Every day is a battle. So <laughs> a couple things that I've heard, right? She would never listen to me if I tried to teach her. Right. That goes back to our role as home educators. We're not the teachers. 
unless they ask us to teach them something, right? We are coaches, we are guides, we are providers of resources. That's an unnecessary battle that we need to have is us feeling like we have to control the teaching that goes on. You don't know my children, they never get along. This is a tricky one, right? This takes time. Maybe they've never gotten along because they've never had to get along. This is what I've seen is that school provides um, a natural place to go and um, avoid conflict resolution instead of dealing with conflict. So yes, sometimes days are long and hard, but the lessons that are learned and the friendships that are grown inside the home, I feel like are invaluable to the future of our kids' relationships, their marriages, their own children. Um, so, so often we're kind of compartmentalizing all of our lives that we don't need to like figure things out. We don't need to be friends with our siblings because we can just go to school and then, you know, jump on our device and really tune out from having to deal with those issues. I'm so tired. Yes, this is an issue as well. And it's really important that with your partner or with an extended family member, maybe your parents, right, the grandparents, aunties, uncles, that you can work out a way that you get to do things that are still life-giving to you. Um, feeding your own interests is really important when you're homeschooling your own kids. And that's a direct link that I, that I always, it's been curious to observe actually, that the more um, of a life learner that the parent is, the more curious usually the child is as well, which is kind of a neat connection. But you need to figure out what that means to you. It's like three times a week, I just need to go to the cafe and chill and just read or sip a cup of coffee or whatever. Maybe it's twice a year heading out with a group of girlfriends to go camping or on some holiday or retreat where you're like away. Um, maybe it's just your spouse taking the kids and you sit quietly in a room or you take a bath or whatever it is. Perhaps it's you working part-time if that's life-giving to you. And that continues to stimulate your mind and brain besides what's going on in the day-to-day -day ins and outs of all the things that we have to do as parent and coach and um, facilitator of learning. So all of these things, yes, are important. It's important to consider the trade-offs of what home education offers. Speaking of trade-offs, I can't afford to home educate my children. We only have five minutes, so we're going to fly through this last myth. And we'll talk a little bit about the tangible and intangible costs of school. No time to write into the chat, but you probably can think of them. Or maybe you're still in the middle of paying them right now. The hidden costs of state schools that are, are free, free schools, uh, uniforms, field trips, teacher appreciation, extra tuition, supplies, sports kits, petrol, keeping up with the Joneses. This is huge, right? Oh, mommy, all of the kids in my class have an iPhone. I want an iPhone. Why can't I have an iPhone, right? It starts to add up when we get into this situation where we're having to fork out money for all these other things that we perhaps didn't think about budget-wise going into the school year. Intangible costs of school, we've talked about these as well. Um, time away from family. 
lack of sleep, increased anxiety with regards to these, this high-stakes testing. Um, with homeschooling, a lot of that, most of that, maybe all of it, goes away, right? So what do we have? We have control. We have freedom. There's peace of mind. There's flexibility. But I know you guys are thinking about the actual tangible cost of home education. The three categories, really, that you need to consider and how much you would spend on homeschooling your child or children are how will they study, what are their interests, and what kind of field trips or extra stuff will they be going to do? How will they study? This means like uh, curriculums or online academies, which can get really pricey, but you could, your kid could be learning on Khan Academy, free, YouTube videos, free, using the library for books, free, and enrolling in a college, free. So it just, there's always trade-offs. The, their interests, yeah, my son, who is super into graphic design and photography, to fund his interests, which includes like every latest techie gadget out there, is going to be a lot different than funding the interests of my history and literature loving daughter. <laughs> and so this is where the bulk of our budget actually goes, is to funding their interests. Field trips could be to the Egypt room at the British Museum, free. Could be to Egypt to see the pyramids, cost a little bit more, it's up to you. But um, with certain trade-offs, it can be done. It takes community. It takes communication with your child, with your spouse, with your friends, with your mom, dad, aunties, uncles. Communication and community is really the key to keeping that peace, keeping that just an environment that everybody is thriving at home. All right, guys, here's the end, and it is 12 o'clock. It's no secret that the institution of school needs reforming, and there are amazing people who are lobbying for changes to, to make school a more equitable, equitable, effective place to learn. Here's the question, though. Can we afford to wait for those changes to happen when it comes to our children? because it's kind of like trying to move a ship that's stuck in the desert. It's gonna take not only our children, but our grandchildren that are gonna still feel the effects of this schooling system as it is. And I know it's hard to swallow new ideas, right? Let's face it, the, school, the institution of school, it's comfortable, it's familiar, it's predictable, but it's becoming more and more artificial and static and obsolete in a world that is changing by the minute. So I hope that you can now see that home education, as opposed to restricting opportunity, actually opens up opportunities while also um, possibly restoring a much needed balance to the home environment. And 
how do we know that this is going to be for us? Like, how do we know for sure? And honestly, it's really a gut feeling and that's not scientific or technical at all, but that's where it starts. We know our kids. So we go with our gut and then we start to deal with all of the the trade-offs. Okay. How can I actually make this work? I feel like this is the best option for my kid. And we can start asking our, ourselves questions, right? What are we giving up by having our kids in school? What would we be giving up by home educating our kids? What are we gaining as a family by having our kids in school? What would we be gaining by having our kids educated at home? So we might get to the point where we could ask ourselves, and maybe if you're bold enough, ask somebody else, why are you still sending your kids to school? I just finished this great book. It's going to become harder and harder to defend the answer to that question, right? So what's next? I know that putting these ideas into practice is a lot more complicated than listening to them presented on a webinar. So now we have a few minutes to kind of think about um, some questions. Okay, so is it possible, first question, to facilitate three children's home ed journeys yourself and work to ensure income is still coming in? How do other families manage income, jobs, and home education? Okay, so I've, you know, known families that have been super creative in the way that they've done exactly that. Uh, is it possible to visit three children's? Okay, so I'm assuming they're your own three children. So yeah, we have five children. And <clears throat> as they grow, their needs change. When I had five that were under nine years old, it was crazy. Um, now my kids are 14 to five years old. And what's happening is like the older ones can help with the younger ones, which is really great. So like I said, a lot of the learning is self-driven. My daughter, she, she wanted to keep up with her maths and literally she's 14 worked through this whole math workbook, did DVDs, did it herself, had maybe a handful of questions throughout the year, but otherwise she was good to go. So again, just getting the ball rolling. If, if they're little ones, I'm not sure how old your kids are. If they're little, you know, creating an environment of learning in your home where they have opportunities to create, build, play, uh, make music, read, if you have your, your home sort of situated in a way where they can always be discovering or curious about, then a lot of times they can be busy doing that while you're working one-on-one -on -one with sort of the ones that are younger or more needy and stuff like that. How do you manage income? I've seen d different ways, right? Uh, two part-time incomes working at different times. I've seen families that utilize other families, so maybe two moms that work part-time that can then sort of trade or kid swap, if you will. Um, your kids come over for a couple of days a week. Our kids go over there for a couple of days a week. Grandma, aunties, uncles, if they're available, you're golden. Ours live so far away, and it's really uh, wish that they were closer. But, um, yeah, just trying to figure out 
just being really creative. You got to think outside the box really is all I can say about how, how to manage that. That's really tough. And that's where those major sacrifices and trade-offs come in with home ed. How do you deal with homeschool children comparing themselves to others, self-esteem issues? For example, if they hang out with those at mainstream schools who may be talking about their proficiency in math, et cetera. Yeah, um, this is tricky. I don't think that, um, I definitely don't think that you get into it as much, but we have experienced that a little bit. Um, and I think it's a little bit of an opportunity to sort of step back and reflect and have a conversation with our kids like, do you see what's what's going on here? Do you see what though what that child is influenced by, where she gets her worth and self-esteem, as opposed to where we find our worth and self-esteem? And so we've done kind of a lot of that. Um, yeah, I think it's just a lot easier to affirm people where they are when they're getting that at home instead of the opposite, right? Where their self-esteem comes from sort of this arbitrary standards, whether it be academic or these social arbitrary standards, like you have to be wearing this thing or um, using this phone or whatever, right? Um, all right, any other questions on the Q&A? And I'm just kind of scrolling down this okay how do you cope with judgment from others on the chat um <laughs> well uh, particularly family members okay i see that now i think it's just being honest right i mean being educated yourself and knowing your stuff and like i've obviously done a ton of research it's my joy and my passion but just asking questions, like we asked at the beginning, right? Like, well, what was your favorite thing that you did in school? Like, what are some things that you've never used in your life that you did in school? And so kind of having, trying to have more of an open discussion where they could see the possibilities academically, socially, um, for their future, you know, how it benefits family. I think maybe that's, that's how I would handle that kind of judgment, I mean, ultimately it kind of comes down to like, wow, I'm, I wish that you supported me, but like we've, we've chosen to do this because it is what's best for our child. And I know that's, that's a too simplistic answer, answer but um, okay. We have a question in the chat about flexi-schooling. I am not as familiar with flexi-schooling as I am about um, home, just full-blown home educating. <clears throat> For you guys listening, flexi-schooling is kind of a combination between I'm still connected to the institution of the school, but sort of doing it at home, and there's this partnership. Uh, I th it works for a lot of people, I think. If you go on to, you know, Home Education UK, Facebook, or some other, like, big Facebook group like that, they will know exactly <clears throat> what, where to send you as far as those details. Um, tricky, though, right? Because you're still linked to the school, so you don't have full autonomy um, in what your child learns. And 
which actually kind of work if you feel like, okay, no, we still need that um, guidance academically. There are a load of online academies as well that sort of function in the same way. You, your child gets the assignments, they do the assignments, they tick all the boxes. So, um, <clears throat> and yet you're not connected to the institution of school. So there's no like, um, there's, you don't have to participate in like the exams and stuff like that. Uh, book recommendation as introduction to home ed. Um, so yeah, I have a, like a really exhaustive list, book list on my blog, which is ourthrivinghive.com. If you go to resources, you can download the book list there. Names like John Holt, he is like the founder of like the unschooling, sort of a like child-led learning. Peter Gray, Free to Learn. The, probably the guy that was most influential in my decision to homeschool was a man named John Taylor Gato, and he wrote a book called Dumbing Us Down. He was a teacher of the year in New York City, won all kinds of accolades, and then ended up writing this book about how he just felt really like he was, had been doing his students a disservice for so many years because the education system was just failing them. Um, really kind of pushed me over the edge. So John Taylor Gato, for sure. Um, do, 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 do. Self, I ponder on access, self-directed schools and home ed. You know, it is my passion, it's my desire. If I had just a crazy amount of time to do anything that I could, I so desire that every kid has the same chance at really great education. And I know that home education is really for those that have the means to do it. And that's not fair in my book. Um, and so somebody mentioned self-directed schools. They're becoming a lot more popular, these self-directed learning centers in the U.S. And I'm hoping that the trend, once enough people have been stirred, right, that like there's got to be another way starts with home ed because that's just the easiest way but then these other types of programs can start where hopefully everybody will have access regardless of their socioeconomic status or you know wherever they live <clears throat> that they'll have access to some of these schools that are just really innovative in their approaches and their techniques to to learning so um I have two under three at the moment, so still very little. They can play trains and buses all day. At one point, do you see children transitioning role play to learning about what they are playing with, if that makes sense? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it just kind of happens. And so once you see, like, okay, my kid is train crazy, that's all he wants to do. Well, then we start learning about trains on the video, right? Like you can learn the history of trains, so the locomotive, and you can um, count the wheels on the trains, and you can, you know what I'm saying? You can build, build the cars, and you can draw paint trains, you can paint trains. 
if they're going through a trains phase and just like milk it for all it's worth, and that goes with any of the interests that our children have, my job, once I see, ooh, my kid is really interested in, I have one that's interested in magic and comedy, like stand-up comedy. And I thought, oh my word, that's like as far as you can get from academic learning. <laughs> but really it's not because it provides that sense of being in front of people to write. Comedy is crazy tricky. Um, so wherever your, your kid is, you're just feeling, like, okay, what, what can I throw in their path to feed this natural curiosity? Hopefully that helps, right? You're just, you're just feeding that and their, their interests are going to change pretty soon. It's not trains, it's something else. And you just, again, try to keep feeding, right? Um, home education allows learners. Yep, that's right. I'm interested in giving children the option to attend school or not. I think it's best for my children to be homeschooled, but should I give them a choice? Okay, so they're little, five and four. Um, our youngest had experience like in a nursery school and she was the only one that had any school experience and she's been home since she was like three and a half. Um, and I think they're young enough right now where if you start them down the school road, then it's going to be a lot harder to pull them out than if you just kept them home to begin with. As they get older, and start to figure out what they're interested in, and you have, say, a teenager that wants to go back to school. Well, at that point, they know that school is a game to be played for a certain end, okay? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? They're not going into it um, blindly, and they know, okay, I'm going after this to pursue this other thing. And so I think when the, when the child is old enough to have gotten sort of a basis for what real learning looks like, and then they choose to then go into a school environment, whether it be a secondary school or a college, then they know what they're, what, what they're getting themselves into. And they may end up going because they're curious or they think that, yeah, I want to try this. And then they may realize, okay, actually, no, that didn't work. And Pull themselves back out. So I think when they're young, you have a better shot at keeping them home as opposed to starting school because then once they've started, then it's going to be really hard to, to make that transition. All right. Any last little questions as we finish up here? You guys have been so great for hanging in there. I could blab for another three hours, but I won't. Um, I will put this, I will send off the recording for this and hopefully if you want to re-listen to it or take some more notes, you can do that once it's been posted. All right, guys. Cool. I think that's it. And we'll see you later. Let me know if you have any questions. Have a great Friday and a great weekend. Bye guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freedom to Learn podcast. For more information about our work, check out our website at freedomtolearn.uk and find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.